Hello, welcome back to Pit Stop. I am Jordan Della Coltman. I'm joined by Tyler Walzak, and we have finally, finally, Tyler, seen the very first race of the 2023 Formula One season. The Bahrain Grand Prix went this weekend, and it was glorious just to have Formula One back. I don't know about you, Tyler, but for me, waking up at like seven in the morning, which I did to watch this race live because of how excited I was, felt really good. Did, did you, you really get up wake to up watch to watch this? it? Yeah, did you I watch didn't get this? up to watch it. No. You watched it delayed. Okay, so you, that's fine. But yeah. when you watched it, just like scale of one to 10, level of anticipation. Is this like the first day of the of the NFL season? Is it the first day of the playoffs? Like where does Formula One now rank for you as a sports fan? The, I highly anticipated I look forward. I look more forward to the first Formula One race than I do opening day in baseball now, um, which I love opening day in baseball because every team plays, or not, I guess not, but they have one big game and then it's the next day of the day after that every team plays and you just really get to see what your teams bring into the plate. Ha 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 ha. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this, I'm, I'm much more excited about this than I am NHL first week, um, NBA first week. It's got up there. Football still for me, but then Formula One is probably number two. And the best part right now, as a football and Formula One fan for you, is they are never competing. Like until the fall, Perfect. obviously, end of the Formula One season gets a little messy, but times out perfectly. You're in your like hangover from the Super Bowl. What's next? I don't really want to think about the draft yet. Now you got Formula One. I hope exactly. as listeners out there, you were also excited. It was an awesome race. Um, we'll, I'll do a really quick 30 second recap for those who are forgotten in a day and a half. Uh, and obviously also let's make this very, very clear for those who are new to this show. If you have not watched this, this is we're, we're going to talk about a lot of things that you're not going to know if you haven't followed through. So if you haven't watched it, stop right now. Just go watch like the minute and a half long recap this is going to make a lot mm. more sense but this this is you know there's your fair warning here we go so bahrain grand prix obviously first race of the season lots of expectations we knew going in a little bit from what the testing was a week before but as we've all learned in the past testing is really just uh what it is it's testing every team's trying different stuff out we don't really know what they were and weren't trying to find in the data so it's hard to tell what we did know and anticipated going in is we had a a fight with at least three or four teams that were looking pretty good. We talked on our season preview a week ago about who we thought was going to jump up into the top three. I don't think either of us truly believed Aston Martin was going to be this good. I said in answering the question we got from a listener last week, who did we think would jump in there? I said, Aston Martin, I said it kind of almost half-heartedly hoping that they would be good, but Aston Martin brought it this weekend. And we've seen that obviously they are ready to go. Alonzo had a great, weekend the mercedes actually had a pretty good uh friday into saturday and then obviously saturday qualifying they had some pace but it was all red bull red bull winning uh pretty handily uh maybe the easiest race max verstappen has had in a few uh you know in a couple seasons to start a, to race uh, to start a season he struggled last year didn't even finish the race last year so a great start for them and then obviously the big story alonzo in third um ferrari struggling mercedes struggling and then all the way down we'll talk about all of the real struggles because there were some guys who had just had nightmarish days tyler for you looking back on it how would you grade this race you know we talk about high event races excitement all these kind of things how would you grade bahrain 2023 it uh it's interesting because if you take this race that like the first race with anticipation high and you're just excited to see racing again put sunday's race in the middle of the season. And I think it's probably a bore fest. Um, but because we don't know what these cars are going to do, because we don't know which driver is going to be able to have the best setup, who's ahead of everybody else in terms of finding, figuring out their cars, 
that's what made this race appealing because it could like Verstappen was two seconds ahead after the first lap and never looked back. It was, it was like, he won by 11 seconds was without a doubt. Pit stops. Perfect car. Perfect. Perez second. Like it's just the red, that car's done. So this would have been like done as in they've almost perfected it. Um, so this could have been a very boring race if it was week 10 or week 11 or session, whatever they call it. But because we were seeing other teams figure their stuff out because we didn't, we had high hopes for Alonso. I think everybody after practice um, had very high hopes for that Aston Martin car and they delivered and it was fun watching him. It was fun watching him pass people. You didn't, you didn't know if it was just him or but also at the same time, Stroll did very, very well with a broken wrist, maybe two of them. Um, and he also injured his ankle to get in a car essentially without practice and be able to do what he did in P6 is fantastic. And it started off very, very awesome, this race, because of what happened with Aston Martin and Lance Stroll hitting Alonso from yeah, behind so- his fault. We we talked that about how great been. we talked about how great it was to, for for Alonso obviously finishing third made some very exciting overtakes later in the race which we will talk about but that race almost was for naught for Aston yeah. Martin on the very first couple corners yeah. and it was scary there uh, for for sure and it felt like so the kind of scary that that would happen to a team like Aston Martin but this time it didn't and it was so scary that they refused to tell Alonso who hit him yeah he was did not want him to for like yeah, twenty right. laps. Like who hit me? Like what's going on with that? And they just said, head down, cars, no damage. Head down, cars, no damage. Or they're looking into it, but I don't think there's going to be anything. They're looking into it. Uh, FIA say there's no, there's no incident. They refused to tell him. They were so afraid of what he was going to say and to get him out of the mindset of the very first race in this new car after all the problems he had with Esteban Ocon last year that they refused to tell him. It made the first 20 laps. I was like almost laughing at the fact that they just kept talking about it. Like, don't tell him, do not tell him even like Brundle. And the other, um, I forget the other announcer's name right now, but Crofty. they were laughing about it. Crofty. Yeah. They're laughing. They're like, don't, don't tell him, don't tell him. whatever you do. Do not tell Alonzo about who hit him, which is awesome. Yeah. yeah it, I mean, it's an interesting story. So we haven't talked at all about uh drive to survive and the season this year. I am assuming you've watched it. And if for, for those out there, it. Yeah, so obviously they get a little bit into that relationship with him and, and Ocon, and obviously it was a very fractured and kind of toxic relationship by the end of it with just Alpine in general and the way Fernando left and all of those things. But the one thing he said that was really, I think, telling, is he sort of joked in an interview when one of the producers pressed him about, you know, now, you know, how somebody had said something about him and he kind of read a quote to him and he sort of laughed and goes, well, I guess now I am the bad guy. I'll be the villain. I'm happy to be the villain. And here he is again, the wily old Fox over 40 years old, the oldest guy in the sport. He's, he's got 32 race wins, two championships has, he, he, he was all last on the podium in 2021. To be fair, he was, he made third in that Alpine, which was very impressive. But uh, this is a guy who has seen, a lot of time passed since he was truly in a competitive car back when he drove for Ferrari. The last time he really was able to think about competing at the top and all of a sudden they have handed him just this absolutely ferocious machine. Let's talk about it for a second because a few years ago when this team was uh, racing point, 
they were mm-hmm. accused of having a pink Mercedes or a ripoff of the championship Mercedes car. They had designed a lot of it to look a lot like the team, the car that, that Lewis had won a championship the previous year. There was a lot of questions about, uh, you know, plagiarism, let's call it. They obviously had a partnership and still do have a partnership with Mercedes as their power unit supplier. Now, there is a lot of speculation and a lot of, uh, let's call it paddock whispering going on about how this Aston Martin happens to look a lot like a green Red Bull. And yeah. you look at the design of this car based on the Red Bull from last year, and it's it's noticeable. The side pod's very similar. The front wing looks a little bit like what was going on last year. And obviously the performance is there now. And when you have a performance improvement like that, I, I saved it somewhere looking at the, the time changes the overall race uh, time changes from last season and the first race to this season. And without a doubt, Aston Martin has made the biggest improvement. It's something like mm-hmm. two seconds, a lap improvement, which is insane. I have to ask it, you, it, is this a green Red Bull? Like, is, is this too close for this to feel like it's all well, about here's, board? Here's my thought about that is even if it is, isn't that the whole point? Isn't that why these drivers stare at other cars for 15 minutes before each race? Isn't that the whole point is, to try to find a way to beat the guy that's very, very successful. So why would you not just have every single one of your engineers constantly looking at what Red Bull is doing? Because they're not giving away the details of what their engine is. They're not giving away. They're just, you're looking at the specs from outside. You're looking at the steering wheel design. You're looking at the wheel wells. You're looking at everything down to the millimeter. So if it does look like a Red Bull, isn't that kind of, shouldn't everybody be doing that? Like, why are you trying to, to be different than the one that's 11 seconds faster than the other Red Bull and 38 seconds faster than any other car. So shouldn't you be trying to do that? Shouldn't every team be trying to make their own Red Bull? Of course. And, and I think you're, you know, you hit it on the nose when you said that, you know, this is, this is kind of how it works, isn't it? Because this is what Mm. works. We have these regulation changes with the beginning of the regulation changes. Everybody kind of comes in fresh and then slowly over the period of time that those regulations exist, you know, usually it's almost a, a decade or so you have the slow sort of, merging towards the middle of whatever concept works the best right a lot of those cars in the last iteration looked a lot like mercedes because mercedes had success and it made sense obviously some teams mercedes included in this case might do better to look at what red bull's doing and try to think about whether or not the original side pod design or the original floor design that they had and have continued to hold on to is really working and in aston martin's case clearly they threw all pride out the window said it didn't work for us last year let's try again so far, so good. Um, I don't want to believe yeah. your point because we don't know all the details on it, but it is definitely interesting. And Perez did say in the post-race press conference how happy he was to see three Red Bulls on the podium. This is a little <laughs> extra jab at Aston Martin. I encourage you to go look at the clip. I think we posted it on our uh, Instagram because they cut to a- a- Alonzo and he just has this big, big grin on his face. He says nothing, but he yeah. just sort of smiles. So it's I- definitely like, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. And if they become... Uh, if they continue to be competitive with Red Bull, it could be an interesting conversation to continue to have. 100%. And I, I like that we talked about the villain and then Perez now making jokes like that in the position he's in because I talked a lot last year about the turn that Perez has taken from what I thought he was a villain before. And then when he got to Red Bull and just kind of shut his mouth and took the second seat and just did what he was asked to do and did it very, very well. And I think he kind of turned into like kind of a baby face for me. And also that happened with Alonzo a lot in this race too. You saw a different side of him. We'll get into that a little bit later, 
but it's a, a complete, he's all smiles and he could have easily rated right, it. Like I said, on the lap, like, like three or whenever Ocon hit him could have easily have turned back into the old Alonzo where he's just angry all the time, but didn't. And it was a fun race. It was fun to see him go around like that. Um, but again, yeah, this is a, it's a copycat sport. So I have to ask, do we need to spend any time on Red Bull or can we just accept that right now they're clearly the team to beat? They're so far out ahead in terms of where they are. The only question I really have is, is it too early to just accept that the quote unquote penalty that they got for being over the salary cap was completely not a salary cap. The uh, spending cap uh, was completely uh, useless because they clearly have developed a car that didn't need the extra time in the wind tunnel. Yeah, they knew they were going to go over the cap. They knew what the penalty would be, and they knew that it wouldn't matter in the grand scheme of things, and it doesn't. And their car is by far better than everybody else's car. And I feel like if you're a Red Bull fan and you're listening to this, we are not going to talk about them a lot this year. George Russell said yesterday he feels like Max Verstappen is going to win every race this year. George Russell said that. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. It's, it's so, almost like everyone's lost all hope and there's racing for third and fourth place. Well, and that very well may, may be the case, but we'll wait and see, I guess. Again, look, the, it is early. We don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, but as you say, it definitely feels, it's definitely not a good feeling when you start a season that far behind and that's where everybody else is. It's them yeah. and everybody. Now, I will say one thing. Since Bahrain has been the starting race of the Formula One season, the first, the winning driver of the first race has never won the championship. So Max would have to break that curse. Yeah, Every time Lewis won, Bottas or Vettel had won. Last year, obviously, Leclerc won, and now we have Max winning. So we'll see. We will see. That's a super cool. Holds. That's a super cool stat. I did yeah, not know so that. That's we'll awesome. Because I just knew it was Max's first time winning Bahrain. Exactly. And uh, so we'll see if the first winner uh, curse continues or not. Well, that I gives hope to everybody. Who right. told George see? Russell that? Yeah. Take George, Mr. He Russell. He needs a little history lesson. Let's, yeah, um, yeah, it's still open up there. Let's talk about uh, Red Bull's previous uh, closest rival. And I say that because I'm not sure they are at the moment. They might be again soon. But Ferrari looked like absolutely a shambles after what was really fascinating. Because during testing and even earlier in the weekend... They looked so calm. There was no signs of disarray. There was no signs of frustration coming out of testing. Everything was just sort of everybody's good. Everybody's calm. Everybody's happy. We did exactly what we came here to do. They didn't have any engine issues. They didn't have any performance like major issues or anything like that. Maybe everything was just a little too like kind of ho-hum. They, they clearly aren't quite where we thought they were going to be. And then obviously just a debacle of, technical issues there they had a yeah. uh, a battery problem uh coming out of qualifying they changed out a battery right before the race and obviously we saw leclerc have to retire due to that issue or something related mm -hmm. to it uh and signs who came on the radio at one point and basically was told to push and he said if i push i'm not making it to the end of the race so i guess the question is we we know that ferrari has made a big effort this year to try to be a better strategic team and try to just get to get themselves a little bit more together um, after some very just boneheaded mistakes last year, you can't really say that the breakdown is, is like that kind of mistake cars break down. Look, Red Bull broke down both cars on the first race last season and went on to win. So is it too early to panic on Ferrari or is this just a, a sign like a red flag that we should be keeping an eye on? It's far too early to panic on Ferrari, far too early. Leclerc was in third when his 
car failed him. Cars are going to fail in these races. Like every team seems to have an engine or something fail at some point. Last year, it was the Red Bulls in, in race one. Both of them did not finish Bahrain. This year, it's Ferrari um, and McLaren. And it's, it's Alonzo third, signs fourth, and they didn't swap his tires at the end when they should have. Again, you got to think that Ferrari's got to be a little bit smarter about the decisions now, but it, it could have easily been signs on the, the as the third person on the podium. But I would not panic if you're Ferrari at all. Just tighten it up, fix it up, figure it out. You've got a week to figure out this battery issue, not just a day and a half. Um, so I wouldn't know. Leclerc very much is still probably number two in terms of like where he's going to finish at the end of this season and try to knock off Verstappen, which obviously I don't think that's going to happen. But um, Perez could be the other guy in the Red Bull that does it, but Ferrari still has Leclerc and signs there. They will figure it out. It's far too early to write them off. So the other team that we were thinking was going to be more in this fight, and to be fair, they still had a pretty decent showing considering what we've seen from them in the last calendar year. Mercedes had a really frustrating Friday, both of the first two practices did not go the way they had hoped it would. They were tumbling down the timing charts and yet somehow they put it together on Saturday and actually went into qualifying as one of the more confident teams looking at the times they'd had in final practice three, they had a pretty good qualifying, to be honest with you. Um, There were times when both of their cars were the fastest on track as the, you know, and then of course the, the dominant teams were able to get out there with the right tires, but there were moments where it looked like, okay, Mercedes is at least improved from where they were last year question, I guess, is how much have they improved and moreover, how much more do they have to do to get this car to where they think it can get to? We've been told they have several upgrade packages lined up for the first three or four races. So there was already a plan for this car to come in a little bit like, let's call it handicapped and that they were going to improve it. But like, again, asking, I guess the same question of Ferrari, is it too early to panic on Mercedes or like, are we still optimistic as we were in the, I think both of us were more optimistic in our in our preseason conversations than what we've seen this weekend. Should we be optimistic or or is it just wishful thinking that Mercedes is going to turn this around? Is this still another year away? This is the thing about these teams, and we can't forget that they, they are listening to each other as much as they're watching each other um, and their vehicles and what's changing. Mercedes is the one that is already giving up in terms of talking in interviews about this car is just not going to get it done this year. Um, I read something out there that someone total wolf said, this is the one of the the worst days in racing on Sunday. I'm like, you're fifth and seventh, like with a car that, yeah, yeah, sure. It's supposed to be, how about Abu Dhabi 2021? Yeah. Like (laughs) you want the worst day in racing. We're always going to bring that up. Um, but you know what I mean? Like these guys are saying this stuff because they want everyone to believe it. So that when they upgrade their package, it's more surprising. It's more um, like, well, hey, we did it. Like set the bar low and then achieve it is a very easy way to keep your job, one. And two, make people happy. Like Make all the Mercedes fans happy. If you consistently under-promise and then over-perform, you're going to have a happier fan base. You're going to have happier drivers. You're going to have – everybody's going to be happier because of it. Nobody should be giving up this year after race one especially Mercedes who has the most money as a Red Bull Mercedes probably have and Ferrari have the most money to spend. They they're not going to give up after race one. They will say that their car is never going to make it, but they believe 
you because you have to believe in sport, even if you're Williams, that we can be better. We will get better. We might win. We can win on any given day. And it is interesting because you're right. There's all I think you called it last last year, like coach speak, right? Where you're saying yeah. one thing when you mean another, because as you say, you know your opponents are always listening. It's mm-hmm. interesting though, because both Russell and Toto definitely shared a similar pessimism in their yeah. post-race conversations. Lewis, on the other hand, if you go back and listen, was incredibly optimistic and incredibly positive. And I don't know if that's just like he broke from the party line and said that because he's that's kind of who Lewis is a little bit. He's always trying to have a positive spin. He's, you know, he's one of those sort of like, you know, life is a, you know worth living if you're happy and looking for the positives in life kind of person. Yeah. Or if he just genuinely believes that that's there. Obviously, he also loves to ensure that he's praising the, the guys back at the factory and he's talking about how hard yeah. everybody works. He's definitely that's the way he feels the best to motivate the team. But it is interesting that you're getting now a little bit of two different stories. He felt very positive about a lot of what the race was. He acknowledged, you know, it was very frustrating to be overtaken the, the times that they were like to just not have the pace. And yeah. yet he acknowledged this is a much easier car to drive than last season. And that he felt a lot better in race one than he did last year, which is an understatement, but yeah. he also finished on the podium last year too, through yeah. all of that frustration. So it's very like, it's very hard to tell. I guess the thing is there's like, there's, there's different bars that they're clearly clearing. And it's hard, I think from the outside, always to be able to get a true sense of where their expectation is and where they're, actually what the, whether or not they're meeting their expectation regardless of what our expectations from the outside might be yeah mercedes last year had major major problems with pur- porpoising and like just engine issues in terms of where their speed was this year they're ahead of all of that the, all of the major issues these cars have this year in this iteration of this of the um racing they're ahead of that already so it's just short up here fix it there fix it there they'll figure it out it's we will here's see the Mercedes on the have, podium. Not, so here's a question. Over. There's rumors going around right now that, that we may see a what they're calling radical reimagining of the side pods this season. Meaning right. that we may see a new side pod come onto this car over the next couple of races that obviously reduces. I mean, they have they're starting with what we're calling like a zero side pod concept. It clearly they're the only team that's still doing it. Um, we saw it a little bit on the Williams last year. They abandoned that this season. So I guess the question is, if those rumors are true, do you think that it's an acknowledgement from Mercedes that they got it wrong? Or do the is it still just a natural progression from where the concept of the car already was? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, at some point, you do have to admit you're wrong. And at some point, it's going to be accepted and okay to admit you're wrong. You know when you'd say, I'm not wrong, I'm not wrong, I'm not wrong for so long that essentially no one believes you anymore and you just go, yeah, we are wrong? You lose... Like no one cares because they already knew you were wrong. They're kind of at that point where there's no point fighting it anymore. Like everybody knows. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about someone who had a much better day uh, and exceeded expectations, I think is the best way to describe it to begin with. And that is Pierre Gasly, your boy. Mm-hmm. And we have acknowledged that we don't think that Alpha Tori as a team has put out the best possible car they could have. I think that they have definitely compromised in some ways. I'm confused a little bit by what the direction of that team is. He leaves that team to try to get better, right? So he moves to Alpine, a team that last year we thought was making huge steps. This year, at least based on what we saw on track, they haven't taken the same kind of step that like Aston Martin has. It feels like they're kind of in the same place. So he gets an improvement stepping away from what Alfa Tori is and that we'll talk about them in another time. But from Alpine's perspective, 
two completely different stories. We're talking about Ocon in a second. For your guy, Gasly, huge day, 11 places he makes up from the start of this mm-hmm. race. Some really great overtakes. Tell me for you what the best part of that was to watch. The the best part for me was like you get emotional about your drivers, your people that you're fans of. And Saturday watching him just not like horrible, horrible day on Saturday watching qualifying with Gasly, not getting out of Q3. And then also his lap not even counting. So he has to finish yeah. after qualifying. They go, hey, you you exceeded track limits. You're going down to P20. So he starts at P20 and you just go, oh, like we can't have another bad Gasly season because he started last year i think he finished top eight last year at this race maybe sixth um at bahrain and then he did well at abu dhabi the week after so you're like okay high hopes and then the rest of his season was miserable and now it's kind of all saturday it felt like that it felt like oh crap gasly has this car now that's supposed to that everyone has high hopes for and he's not going to be able to get it done starting p20 to then have everything go right for him his race director, perfect stops, undercut, undercut twice. And then to to pit perfect, like exactly when you're supposed to with the virtual safety car, come out and and then pass people and get through all this stuff and get back, get those things back to save the day for Alpine. They literally saved the entire start of yeah. their year was awesome to watch. And that is like we say when you watch Formula One, for Verstappen was out of this race from the get-go. He It was his race. He won. Don't bother watching him anymore. If you're watching to see the leader be like in these tense moments of action, it's not going to happen with Verstappen a lot this whole year. So you have to watch these guys just slowly work their way up and then start getting enthralled with that, start figuring out what's going on with them. And Gasly was unbelievable. Like, I could not have been happier for his day to start this year, and I can't wait for my pink hat to come in the mail. That car looked good, eh? The car that they're oh, going to yeah. run, the livery they're going to run for the first three races. There, I mean, it looks a little bit like Pepto Bismol, but it still yeah, looks well, it still looks good. Everybody loves the Pepto Bismol. Everybody else is feeling sick when that thing's out there, eh? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're going to give Gazi a little bit more love in a second. Let's just jump to the team, the team that had definitely the, the worst day of everybody. Like, yeah. just a, and, and 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 frankly, so far has had the worst start to the year they could possibly imagine. This is a team that finished fourth last year, won it at the very end, competed incredibly well, even with the struggles of Daniel Ricardo in their car. Norris put a really great effort forward last year to put McLaren up there. And then McLaren has just fallen apart. Like they clearly have not done enough to get this car to be competitive. We saw them through testing. Not only did they have the least amount of time out on track because of technical issues, even just parts of their car falling off. Uh, mm-hmm. like without contact, which is never what you want to see. Um, but now they go into this race. They had a, a, a pneumatic um, pump problem where they were basically leaking the pressurized air that is in the engine. And Lando had to stop six times. Now, I didn't look this up, but that feels like it's got to be close to a record. Like pitting yeah. six times is brutal. And it must have been so painful and frustrating for Lando. I know that he said post-race that he thought, well, at least there's a silver lining in this and that it's our pit crew has had more practice than any other team, which is true, but it's definitely not how you want to go about that. Like that just had to be so frustrating. I I was wondering why you keep them out there because you know that your engines have maximum amounts of laps, maximum amount of races, and you only get a certain amount of engines each year. 
I think it's three, that why continue if you're two laps behind after the first 20 laps? Why even bother? And I get yeah, because guys will question. not finish, but you're not going to get points out of it. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to save your day. It's not going to happen. They already knew because they said we're probably going to have to pit four or five times. They actually had, um, I'm forgetting the the uh, principal's Zach name, Brown. Zach Brown on the radio calls being like, yeah, we're it's we're going to have to pit him three or four more times. He's coming in in the next 10 minutes just to get that fixed again. So yeah. we'll just put him in the garage well, look, then. Okay, like, so, you're wasting uh, your engine hours. So I want to I want to counter that with one thing. We, I just said a second ago that they didn't get as many laps in during testing. We are still very early, and there's a lot of really important data that can still be gathered as Correct. a team. And I think that mm-hmm. that's kind of where you're at. You're still at the point where they knew going into this race they weren't going to compete. They knew they probably weren't even going to be able to get points out of it. They they did okay during qualifying, but they are they don't have the pace to compete. So I think they went in with certain expectations. Those very quickly were obviously dashed. They knew they had to just make the best of what they had. And I think they were probably gathering a lot of different kinds of information. There's still breaking information. There's still tire deg information. There's aero package information. You can still be getting from running actual laps around those cars in and amongst, you know, the leaders, even when you're being overtaken and lapped, there's still valuable information that these teams need to be able to put into those simulations that they're going to use later in the year to get them through the whole season. I do think that, yes, uh, there's some questions about whether or not you're hurting the engine, but frankly, like that engine can't be particularly happy with all of that you know, air missing anyway. Um, so I'm sure that it's, it's lifespan has already been compromised to some degree. You might as well use it while you're doing this kind of testing information and see what you get out of it. But I mean, no, definitely a head scratcher, but definitely a frustrating day for Lando. And, and, you know, like not the biggest Lando Norris fan in the world, but I felt for him there just as like another person, like imagine what that, like, you know what it reminded me of is like, imagine you were in a bike race and you had a slow leak and every like four or five kilometers, you had to just stop, pump up the tire. They couldn't replace the tire. You didn't have time to replace the tire. You just had to fill it up as best you could maybe stick some like bubble gum on the hole and hope it holds. And then out you go again. And sure enough, it's like, Nope, back down to riding on the rim. Cause that was just like, it just had to be so frustrating. Oh, I, I can only imagine. And I, I I also assume that probably like Grand Prix 11 or 12, that's when they'll be like, hey, this we need to hold off on some lap engine time or engine lap time and let's just retire this yeah. car. I feel bad for the other McLaren driver, Piastri, who was having, honestly, a, he had a decent start. He made a few good overtakes. Yeah. Um, they were they were fighting four points with his car and then just an electrical issue came in. They switched the, they said, we're going to switch the steering wheel. We're going to switch the steering wheel, which if you're new to formula one, steering wheel is everything in that car, not just in terms of yeah, left to right, but yeah. adjusting tire, uh, not tire pressures, but um, brake pressures. And like, there's a 45,000 different things. Yeah, that it's a, it's a supercomputer. Yeah. So for him to come in, they switch it out. And then he's just sitting there for a minute. He was sitting there like, like is it going to fix? Is it going to fix? And they just retired his car. I felt bad for him because the rookies, this race, very impressive for sure very impressive like if we can just talk about them for a second like devries and sergeant sergeant almost got points there and he, he was kind of like he finished 12th um but great first race for him this season and devries got hung out to dry by alpha tory by when they did not elect to pit him when everybody else pitted he was passed by like three cars right away yeah. he was having a great race a great race and his team completely failed him. So 
we're going to do something new this year. Every race, we're going to hand out some hardware, some, some race awards. Um, and over time, hopefully these can have some like fun names attached to them. But we're going to leave that to you as the listeners. Maybe you can give us some suggestions as to what we can call some of these awards. In the meantime, we're just going to go with the, the pretty generic boilerplate version. We know who the driver of the day was from the fan vote at Formula One uh, at the, for the race. It was Fernando Alonso. And obviously, I think a lot of people were very excited to see how well he did. I certainly was. Uh, but we have an award we're going to hand out every race called the real driver of the day. And that's who we think deserves to be the driver of the day. So, Tyler, who was our driver of the day this week? My driver of the day was Pierre Gasly by far. The most overtakes. He went from 20th to points, which is insane in a, like a midfield car. Yes, you're supposed to get points, but to go from 20th to get points is absolutely crazy. Um, I know that Alonso had a great race, but he was expected to have a great race. And I, I get that like, sure. But if we're just going by that, then Verstappen could also get it. Like, if, But it's just weird because it's also a fan vote. Which I don't understand. Alonso got fifty three percent of the fan vote, and then no one else was over seven percent. Max Verstappen was so Gasly was next at six point five, and then Verstappen at six point three. Then Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc. Like the, there was it's other guys that had better races. That point, it's a popularity yeah. concert of people that are a contest of people that are that are already known in the sport. So yeah. for me, it was Pierre Gasly easily, and I noticed that on our uh, socials. You, I was. I was almost called you with a hot, just a hot take immediately um, when you said Alonzo, no question about it. Well, I think immediately following the race, I was very high on the Alonzo experience because as you say, we've been like wandering around a desert here and this was our first sip of cold water for Formula One racing. I think everything was just a little bit uh, more satisfying than it probably really was. And as you say, if this had been like mid July, we probably would have looked at this race a lot differently, but yeah, I came out of that feeling pretty good about Alonzo. And I, and I, uh, I agree with you. I think for me, Gasly hands down, definitely the most exciting driver of the day. And I think the most like, I mean, I think he probably had some of the most fun. I mean, obviously Alonzo had a great day. Max had a great day. I'm sure they both were very happy with where they finished. Even Perez, there was very little incident for him, mm-hmm. but Gasly, I mean, it's gotta be more fun when you know you're in a faster car and they line you up behind on the grid and you're going, well, I'm taking all these guys. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And they didn't show, they didn't show enough of it on the broadcast. Yeah, I agree. With um, that. I was so surprised it's... actually the first time they showed his position, like they, they, they made a point of being like, Oh wow. He's made up 11 spots. I was like, well, what the hell was where? I know where was I was that? I was watching him specifically and being like, how are they not talking more about Pierre Gasly right now? Like, especially his team was just, everything was so perfect. And if you're not like, I get, I guess driver of the day. Sure. You have a great argument for Alonzo, but team of the day for a driver, like everything had to be perfect. Pit stops, everything strategy, perfect for Gasly. And it, it was, he got points in his first Alpine saved their day. Like, I'm hundred percent for me driver of the day, but also I'm biased because I love Pierre Gasly. All right. Let's go to our not so driver of the day. This is the one who just had the worst day possible out there. We haven't talked about him yet because we saved it for this. And my God, was it a brutal day. Esteban Ocon would like, I think to be able to find, you know, a, a time machine, go back about 48 hours now or 72 hours now and just line up again. He just wants to start over because yeah. it all went wrong after the formation lap. He lined up in the box, lurched forward, meaning he was not correctly 
in the box immediately. That's like straight hands down easiest penalty. They stewards can hand out. They look at the law. It's a still photograph. They look at it. Oh, you didn't line up correctly. Oh, you go. So it's, he gets a five second stop, go penalty for that. He comes into the box for his first pit stop. Obviously they, they hold him, but they only hold them for 4.5 seconds because they're going to change out the front wing. And the worst part for Ocon is it's not even his fault. It's yeah. the guy who jumped in a second early to release the lug nut or whatever, to remove the wing. Like it's yeah. not his fault, but it, it's a team sport from that perspective. When you're in the pits, it's a team sport and they let him down there. So he gets another penalty. And while he's coming in to serve the next penalty, he's caught speeding in the pit lane. So yeah. he's gone from a five second penalty to a 10 second penalty to an additional penalty. And then, he ends up retiring the car due to a technical problem. Like it literally could not have been a worse day for Ocon and uh, to top it all off. We've just given away driver of the day to his teammate first race competing against Gasly in the same car. And his teammate gets it over on him and gets points from the back of the grid. Like worst, worst, worst possible day for, for Ocon. His teammate who's the first time racing in that car. Also, it sucks because all his pit stops were perfect. And unfortunately for Ocon, it looked like the guy started doing it immediately. Like when you watch it back, it's like the guy yeah. reached in to, to unscrew the lug nut like almost immediately. Like yeah. he forgot. Like someone didn't tell him that there was yeah. a penalty. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Hey, maybe that was what we call it. We can call it the loose lug nut award. Um, that was brutal uh, for Ocon. I felt really bad for him, but also just like, I mean, come on, buddy. You're already down. It's it's like in any other sport when like a guy's taking three penalties and then he's just frustrated, so he takes three he's more. Taking, and you're like, what yeah. are you doing? Like, yeah. don't speed in the pit lane. That's fundamentals here. Yeah. Right. Super, super simple. I guarantee you, he will come out a lot more conservative and have a lot better race next week because look, he's he's a race winner. This guy knows what he's doing. He's a veteran now. He will he will bounce back, but it's gotta be a brutal, it's gonna be a tough week for him just replaying all of that in his head. Yeah. They got two so, young race winners on that team. That's true. Actually, they have a lot of talent there. And unfortunately, so far, we haven't seen them. We haven't seen the best out of this season's car. And obviously, yeah. Ocon didn't help at all with that. So we'll see if they can get up in there. Uh, all right. This one's uh, a fun one. We have our radio call of the race. So we've actually got yeah. a piece of audio here. We're going to play it for you in a second. Um, but do you want to tee it up? What's our radio call of, of the race this week? I mean, you could have picked the entire you could have just listened to the entire Alonzo race and say these are the radio calls or this is the radio call of the race because every time he passed somebody it was fun it was exciting he seemed happy even before that the radio calls were like he's like who hit me like don't worry about it who hit me don't worry about it is he gonna get a penalty don't worry about it like it's everything Alonzo and that's probably why he got driver of the day on TV is because they they, sure. they showed a lot of that stuff but uh, specifically the one where he passed signs. Uh, is probably you could have used Hamilton would probably have been the second one when he passed Hamilton after that was a great um, tussle there between those two. But when he passed signs uh, and this, the sound in his voice was radio call of the day. Okay, here it is. This is the radio call of the day. Yes. Bye bye. This is a lovely right? So not only was it yes, bye bye. But he also acknowledged how lovely it was like. A, it was like a nice Sunday drive for him. It was the easiest yeah. race he's had in a long time. That car did exactly what we wanted to do. It felt like it was just like hand glove. Let's listen to it one more time. Yes. Bye bye. This is a lovely car. Happy day for him. Now, you already brought up the Hamilton overtake. That's what I'm going to give us as the award for overtake of the day, which is the last of yeah. our, our, our little hardware. That was it was great to see two old rivals. Now, remember, as I said earlier, uh, if you're new to the sport and if you are, thanks for listening. Uh, 
Alonzo is a two-time world champion. And in both of those two years, his biggest rival was a young Lewis Hamilton. And these guys had some great dogfights. Go back and watch on YouTube some of the like the head-to-head battles when it was these two. It, it, it's very reminiscent of what we saw a couple years ago when Max and Lewis were competing for the championship together, like coming together at corners, you know, fighting off each other, overtake followed by overtake. But we got a little like encore of it this week because almost for the entire lap, these two guys went at it. And Hamilton was able to defend pretty well for at least, you know, two quarters of that lap. He just did not have the pace. So every time that Alonzo got DRS, he really came under it. But it was exciting to watch. It was an overtake and then Lewis took him back and just what we want, right? Like that's that for me is what I want out of every single race. I want three or four or five of those kind of moments. And if that's what's there, you know, I, I, I go into Monday happy. Races where everyone just sort of stretches out in a train is just no fun. Yeah, no, hundred percent. That's why you watch the midfield in most of these races. The top, the top guys will be there every once in a while to have these, like we'll talk about it actually coming up, but this is what you want. This is why you watch the midfield as per passes. Like this is why you watch guys like go from 20 to ninth. It's because it's, it is a technique and it is fun to watch people pass people on these uh, tracks. And it was, did you notice that Hamilton and um, Alonzo embraced Hugged each other at the yeah, end of the race. Totally. Two champions yeah. who I think have a lot of respect for each other. And I think like Lewis has come a long way. Let's just put it that way. He's getting to that elder statesman place. That's not unlike a tiger woods where you're starting to see him have a lot different relationship with his competitors than he did when he was like the top dog, alpha male young yeah. and still kind of felt he had a, a big chip on his shoulder. I mean, Lewis obviously wants that eighth championship. There's no question about that, but I think that the like, the kind of killer instinct that once was there that we are seeing, I think for Max Verstappen still it's, it's softened a little bit when you get older mm-hmm. in these sports and you kind of can see that the finish line's getting a little closer. I think you have a little different perspective and Agreed. I think there was some mutual respect there. I think he was happy for him. Now, if the Mercedes gets a little quicker and it's an Aston Martin Mercedes conversation for second or third, uh, there will Not be so nice. a few less hugs. And <laughs> <laughs> that's so nice. Um, then. All right. That those are our awards. For the Bahrain 2023, Gasly wins our driver of the day. Uh, Ocon wins our not-so-driver of the day. Our radio call goes to Fernando Alonso for yes, bye-bye. And he also takes home overtake of the day. Great day for Alonso. Final thoughts on Bahrain before uh, we move forward. Um, again, if this race was kind of in the middle of the season, probably not too exciting, but so good to have racing back. And I get my guy, Gasly, performed and Alonzo gave us a great day. So beautiful Sunday afternoon uh, watching that race. All right, let's uh, take a moment. We'll step away and then we'll be back with uh, what we have to look forward to. Hey, I'm Sayer and I love Marvel. And I'm Kaylee and I love someone who loves Marvel. (laughs) And we're watching through the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe or MCU in release order. There's another order. For Kaylee's first time. And Sayers 85th. <laughs> Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find MCU. And me! Sayers Obsessed! And Kaylee's the best! MCU and me! All right. Uh, before we talk about the Saudi Grand Prix, which will be coming up March 17th through 19th, we are going to take a moment. It's time for mail. Now, box, box, box. For our question segment, listener questions, uh, you can submit your questions on Instagram or you can send us questions. The email is pitstop at ordinarypodcasts.com. 
Uh, so you can send us those questions. You can send them to us either just as a written question, or if you want to get fancy, you can send it to us as a voice recording and we can get your voice right on the show. Either way, we appreciate it. We've got some fun submissions and we've got submissions this season so far, and we've got a fun question here. This one's a bit of a technical question. So I think as we move through the season, questions may change from more just general Formula One questions to questions about specific events. But we have... Uh, we have a, a question about the energy recovery system. So on these cars, uh, there is a battery, very similar to the hybrid uh, batteries that you would have in a hybrid road car. The question is, where does the ERS recovery recover energy from? And this question is from Ricky. So I guess the question that they're asking is, how do they generate the energy necessary? We, we saw in the Ferrari they had to change out this battery because it was having a, a, an issue. Basically, the end of qualifying, it came back fully charged, which is not what you want at the end of qualifying. The point is you have built up some energy. You deploy that energy like a speed boost. If you were playing Mario Kart, where you're getting a little additional power into the energy, uh, into the, into the vehicle, because now you've got battery and uh, the, the original power unit. So the question is, how is the energy recovered? Uh, the answer is very simple. It's recovered through friction of the brakes, the heat that is generated from these brakes. And of course, when we're looking at a car moving at the speeds over 200 miles an hour, these cars are moving when they break, especially hard into a tight corner, there's a lot of friction and there's a lot of heat generated and they have, uh, the ability to capture a lot of that heat. They convert that energy into electricity through this power, this energy, uh, uh, recovery system, a battery basically is charged. And then once it's fully charged or even three quarters charged, it's there at the disposal of the drivers. And as Tyler already talked about, very complicated steering wheels, they have a button. It's that simple. They push the button, they get a little bit of a speed boost, mm -hmm. a little extra power out of that battery. But the key is as soon as it's used, you got to go and you know, recuperate that energy. So we often will see, and if you're listening to the commentary on these races, you'll often hear them talk about sort of charge up laps or laps where they're they're trying to harvest energy and that's where a driver is going to take a little bit uh, different approach to corners. He's going to try to use the brakes in a slightly less aggressive way. It's going to be a bit more conservative because he wants more brake energy um, to be generated. It means that he might come under a bit more of a threat at that time. Um, but they'll often do that if they know they're going to come under, you know, that the team might radio in and be like, Hey, and for example, in Bahrain, I'm sure Lewis got a radio call at some point saying, hey, you know, Alonzo's closing in on you. He'll probably be you'll be under threat in about two laps time based on what the times they were seeing. Therefore, he has time to prepare that battery. And hopefully when he is under threat, he has something to counter with. We have seen also the battery be very successful in races where DRS is less so. So we'll have a DRS mm -hmm. uh, situation where a car with DRS open behind has an opportunity to overtake, but they don't actually have even enough to, to counter the car in front if, if they're able to deploy that additional electricity. So it's definitely an interesting um, component of these cars. And that's part of why they're called hybrid cars. Now um, we've moved through the hybrid area into this new situation, but I also would say because we know formula one is trying to move by 2020, uh, pardon me, by 2030 to be uh, basically net zero carbon zero um we're going to see more and more use out of these batteries and i think these batteries are going to become more and more powerful i'm not saying that we're going to see formula one go to an electric car but i think that the uh, ability to harvest that energy is going to start coming i think from other places too uh, on the vehicle so that'll be interesting to see how it evolves i hope that answers your yeah. question ricky <laughs> in three words brakes build batteries there you go that's perfect maybe you yeah. should answer these questions next time no i was trying to i was trying <laughs> I'll answer next week's. 
There you go. Uh, thank you, Ricky. We appreciate it. And as I said before, please, if you have questions for us, we would love to answer them. Our goal here is to be both uh, entertaining and educational. So if you're new to Formula One um, and you have some questions about just the sport in general, we, we will do the research for you. We will save you the Google. Uh, and if we don't, so, so if we don't know the answer, we'll go look for it. If we do know the answer, we'll, we'll happily share our opinions on it. And of course, uh, if you want to submit those questions. So let's jump forward, Tyler. Yes. We have we have another race in a week's time. Now we get a week off. But don't yeah. everybody get too worried. We do have 23, well, now 22 races left to go. Lots of racing to come. So enjoy yep. this weekend off because next weekend we're in Saudi Arabia. Tell us a little bit about the Saudi Arabia, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. It's a tricky word. The Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Uh inaugural race 2021. This is a street circuit. If you're new to Formula One, that means that they literally use streets that you normally drive drive on to race this track um it's the second longest circuit on the calendar it's also one of the fastest it's only second to monza which would be the fastest um average speed of about 250 kilometers per hour it's got the most corners 27 corners are on this track we do 50 laps of it uh lewis hamilton currently owns the fastest lap at one minute 30 seconds and 0.734 however you want to say that um now, here's the thing about this race is the drivers say it's the most dangerous track of the season. It's got very wide, fast lanes that quickly turn to thin, blind corners. Look for lots of accidents on turn 10. There's three DRS zones, um, the start, finish straight, and then there's two more in the back half of this lap. Now, back to the dangerous thing. We had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people not finish this race last year. Albon, Botes, Alonso, Ricardo, Latifi, Sunata, Schumacher, not all of them because of crashes, some injury problems, but um, very, very dangerous track. So much so that after the first race here, they switched some of the corners to make it safer. And the drivers were still complaining about it last year. Um, to go back to last year's race, uh, very exciting. This was the first race where there were signs of trouble between the two Alpines, Alonso and Akon, raced each other for about three laps when they weren't sure people were asking, like, let Alonso pass, let Alonso pass. Ocon wasn't doing it. They uh, they battled it up, and it started early, like lap seven. Um this was also Perez led the first 15 laps with Leclerc behind him. Um, lap 16 kind of famously was the beginning of Ferrari's um, meltdown. Meltdown. Yeah. Okay. Meltdowns. I was trying to come up with a, a good word. Meltdown works. Their strategies were starting to fail them. This is when um, they asked Leclerc to come in for an undercut, but then right at the last second, changed their minds and, uh, Worked out in their favor this time, though, because Perez was leading. He went in because he thought that Ferrari was going to. In that lap, a yellow flag came out. Safety car came out. Everyone else was able to pit. Um, and this put uh, Leclerc ahead for most of the race. Um, he did not win, though. This was Max's first uh, race win. Uh, took over on lap 42. Um, Leclerc took it back the next DRS zone. But then um, Max was able to get it within the next four, four laps. I think he had one. Um, it seems like Max, every time he tries to fight Leclerc, he locks up at some point. It takes him a few extra laps to do it, but very, very exciting last 10 laps to this race last year. Um, and it finished with Verstappen, Leclerc signs on the podium, Perez fourth, Russell fifth. Um, so I, it is an exciting race. It's a fast race, but it is a dangerous race. And everybody knows that everybody knows that. And it'll be talked about a lot this week. So there you go. We will have all of that fun action uh, in two weeks' time, March 17th to 19th. The Grand Prix is on the 19th, obviously. And uh, until then, 
Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. And as we said, please go submit your questions. Let us know. Maybe you got some ideas for the names of our awards. You can hit us up there. If you don't already, you can follow us on Instagram at pitstop underscore pod. You can follow us on TikTok at ordinary podcasts. You can visit our website to learn more about all of the shows across the Ordinary Podcasting Network at www.ordinarypodcasts.com. And if you don't, please subscribe everywhere and anywhere you get your podcasts. We appreciate it. Tyler, thank you. Everybody, we will see you in two weeks' time after the Saudi Arabian robbery. Pitstop Podcast is a presentation of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Thanks for listening. Ocon tied a record for three penalties in one race. The 2015 record from the Hungarian Grand Prix uh, Pastor Maladano driving the Lotus also had three penalties in the same race, but whatever. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.